Hello and welcome to Soulful Sessions, the show that creates a space for people to chat openly about spirituality, personal growth and share their life experiences. We care about allowing people to open up authentically and share their soul. I hope you'll join me on this journey of bringing authentic and conscious content to the world through the voice of my incredible guests. If you love our stuff, remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit us up at SoulfulBod on Instagram. Yeah, it's a diff- it's been such a strange year. I think a lot of us have kind of had to find new ways to adjust for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so did you did you want to introduce yourself and um, you know let us know a little bit about what it is you do and your journey to actually you know getting involved in what you do. Sure. Well, so my name is Melissa and I am a holistic psychologist and I have been focusing primarily on working with people through very human struggles with stress and trauma and grief and loss. And over time, I have really expanded the frameworks that I draw from in working with clients. So I started off in a very traditional Western psychology kind of framework with evidence-based approaches for therapy and therapeutic relationships, which I do think are really valuable and inform a lot of the work that I do still. And at the same time, I think there are so many different approaches that can be helpful to people. I really feel like it's important for all of us to have personalized forms of support. And so I wanted to grow my ability to really serve other people and to be able to offer a wide range of modalities and approaches for people to draw from so that they could really choose what felt most resonant. So I, because of what I have found useful in my own life, I deepened my own yoga practice. I learned more about Ayurveda, which is a system that's been around for over 5,000 years. It's a sister science of yoga. It's a preventative health medicine kind Mm. of system that originated in India. So I learned more about Ayurveda. I deepened my own meditation practice and studied mindfulness-based approaches more deeply So over time, I've really expanded my repertoire. And so I now am also, in addition to being a holistic psychologist, I'm also a holistic integrative wellness coach. Mm -hmm. I also teach trauma-informed yoga and meditation and mindfulness. And I have some specialized training in Ayurveda and integrating Ayurveda into my work. So I really have merged Eastern and Western Mm. philosophies together. Mm. And I I feel like there's just a lot of power from pulling from all of these different wisdom traditions. Mm. So totally agree, agree with that. And I think, you know, what was it that made you kind of realize that these things needed to be merged in order for us to have kind of more, like you said, personalized and holistic uh, healing modalities for people that come to you and you know want to work with you you know why did you kind of transition into you know just focusing on that kind of western style to actually incorporating these other healing modalities I think it's a great question and I think for me a lot of the more western modalities focus primarily on the mind 
Mm-hmm. And ways that we can observe our thoughts, ways that we can observe tendencies or habits in our minds and relate to our thought processes differently. And I, I think there is a lot, as I said, a lot of utility and power in being able to watch our minds and being able to witness our minds, so to speak, and to take a step back and be less identified with the thoughts that our minds are generating and the narratives that they create from our experiences. And at the same time, I think the mind is only one aspect of our being. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, being able to work with the body. And we know from, from research that a lot of trauma and stress affects the body on a neurophysiological level, on more of a spiritual level. There's just so much that gets stored in the body. So in my mind, people often talk about the mind and body as though they're separate, but I I really think of them as part of the same entity, the body-mind. And so I think for me, when we're only really addressing one slice of our being, it can become very unidimensional and very reductionistic. We can really oversimplify the complexity of our reality. And we're also reducing the tools and resources that are available to us that can assist us in in our lives. So for me, I think the ability to focus on the mind and thoughts and mindset was really powerful, yet it also felt rather restricted. And so I think this ability to work both from the inside out, so addressing Mm. our minds, shifting our thought patterns is really helpful. And I think it's also helpful to work from the outside in and to address what we're what, what's coming up for us in our body. I think our bodies are such a source of wisdom. As, as you know, when we experience an emotion, anger, fear, sadness, it's not just angry, frustrated, sad thoughts that we experience. We experience biological changes in our body. It affects our posture. It affects our facial expressions. It affects our tone of voice. It affects our muscle tension. So there are just so many ways in which even just one experience of one emotion is experienced holistically. So I think for me, because as human beings, we are multidimensional. We have mind, body, and spirit and all of these different layers to our being. It makes sense to have the ways that we support ourselves in our growth and our healing to also be multifaceted and multidimensional. And I don't necessarily think that traditional Western psychology would say that the body is unimportant, but I do think that there is more of a leaning or a heavier weight towards addressing the mind. So for me, it just felt like there was a huge piece missing. We were really neglecting a huge part of ourselves, really. So I think to really feel whole and integrated, it's important to address all of these different layers to our experience and the ways in which we're impacted by our life experiences. Mm, I love that. I love that answer. And I think I, I totally agree with you. There is that kind of focus, like you said, in kind of traditional Western psychology, um, or therapy, we focus on, you know, what's going wrong in the mind, how to address the issues in the mind. But then we've also got this spiritual space where we just focus on the spirit, we bypass the body quite a lot. And we stay up here. And 
we forget that we are still living in a human experience, you know, at a a deeper level. Yes, we are spiritual beings, but we live in a human experience and living in human experience means we need to be in the body in in our three dimensional reality. So we need to have Mm -hmm. navigating, be able to navigate both and all areas of our lives through, like you said, this kind of multifaceted, I can't say that word, but multifaceted (laughs) (laughs) approach, you know, like with the mind, the body and the spirit. Mm -hmm. So for you, how, what modalities have most like spoke to you in terms of prioritizing the body again, and actually bringing that body into the healing space, as well as much as the mind and the spirit? Mm-hmm. I, I love this question. I think it's a great question. So for me, I do think that I have felt very drawn to meditation and yoga and Ayurveda. So I know I've, I've mentioned all three so far because I think all three of those wisdom traditions uh, is what I'll call them do take this more holistic approach involving mm-hmm. the mind and, and body and spirit. And for example, when I think about yoga, I have this this teacher, Ashley Turner, who talks about yoga as a psychology. She says yoga mm-hmm. is a psychology. And there are in the ancient texts when yoga is spoken about, yoga is – this, again, a multifaceted path. Many people think about yoga as the pure physical practice of yoga, the asana. And many people are less aware that asana is just one part of this very complex healing system. And that yoga is also about, in one of the ancient texts, there's a reference to the cessation of the mind stuff. So yoga being a path towards calming our minds, being more aware of what's happening in our minds. But just as one example, in yoga, there are different frameworks for thinking about our being. And one is the kosha system and there being these different layers of our being. So the first most outermost layer is our anamaya kosha, which is our physical body, the part that we can touch and feel, our muscles, our tendons, our bones. And then There's our pranamaya kosha, which is our energy body, where there's breath, where there's the chakra system, which many people are familiar with. And then the next layer is the manamaya kosha, which is the mental or emotional body. And then the fourth layer is the vijnanamaya kosha, which is the witness body, that sort of wise sage who is able to observe what is happening. And then anandamaya kosha, which is the bliss body. And this is where we connect with spirit or spirituality Mm. or nature or whatever that means to whatever, whomever we are talking about, that ability to connect with something larger than ourselves Mm. and to transcend our physical form, to connect with the infinite. And so I think this is a really helpful system to think about because the idea is that who we are, our true self is at the center of all of these layers. And in order to really let that center that true self shine, we need to be able to puncture, so to speak, all of these layers. We need to be able to work in all of these layers. And so I I think about that system a lot when when I think about your question, mm-hmm. what, what kinds of modalities have been helpful because the yoga system is developed or 
is centered around this idea that there are different layers, so to speak, of our being or, or sheaths that cover our true selves. And so the yogic practice, the eight-limbed path, is intended to include practices that address or operate at all of these five levels. Mm-hmm. And I think meditation is very similar. Many people think about meditation purely as a practice of the mind, mm-hmm. a practice of observing our thoughts, being with our thoughts, being with our emotions even. Mm-hmm. And yet meditation is an embodied practice. Many of my dearest meditation teachers will often talk about the importance of being in our bodies Mm. and how that is such an important gateway to meditation that is often neglected. Because again, we have this, many of us who have grown up in more of a Western culture have this tendency to just think a lot about the mind and to intellectualize. And yes, the mind is a very important part of meditation, but even, of course, there are different kinds of meditation practice, but essentially all of them share this philosophy that to meditate, we need to be in our bodies and we need to live an embodied life. And so I think the the practice of meditation to me also is a really important way to experience what it's like to be with all of these different layers of our being, our thoughts, Mm. our emotions, our physical body, our physical sensations, to explore spirituality, to explore deeper meaning and purpose. And then I'll just briefly talk about the third system I mentioned, which I draw draw from a lot, which is Ayurveda. And Ayurveda, this system of, of medicine, which takes a very preventative approach to healing. I think something that really resonates with me about Ayurveda is that it's not just about reducing symptoms. So our traditional Western medicine system of allopathy often is really focused on reducing symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is important. I'm not downplaying the – and of course, Western medicine has offered us so, so many beautiful treatments that save lives. And so I'm not knocking it. I do think it's it's important. I think all of these systems can work together mm. is, is my philosophy, mm-hmm. that they all have their own power and their own benefit. And they have that much more power when we can use them together and when we don't create a hierarchy, when we don't say that one is better than the other. So Ayurveda The approach is, yes, we treat symptoms, yet we use symptoms to examine what the underlying cause is. So if someone presents to an Ayurvedic doctor with, say, ongoing stomach aches or gastrointestinal difficulties, the Ayurvedic specialist won't just talk with them about foods they can eat Mm. to Mm. promote healing. They will talk about that to sort of address those gastrointestinal symptoms, but they won't stop there. They'll look at what else might be happening in your life in terms of stress that could be contributing. What practices are you using in your life that are supporting you, that are helping you take care of yourself? What are, where are their gaps? They will also look at food sensitivities. They will also look at your constitution, so to speak, in terms of your unique being and the ways in which you might be off balance and ways that you can find balance, not just through nutrition and what you eat and how you eat, but also through different lifestyle adjustments. Mm. So there will be a deep effort to examine what is the underlying cause or what are the 
contributing factors to this gastrointestinal pain or distress that you might be experiencing. So there is attention to the symptoms and treatment of the symptoms, but it's more of a zoom out kind of approach, really looking at the landscape of your life and then also trying to find a sustainable way to live your life that can prevent similar problems in the future. So it's not just a reactive system. It's also a preventative system Mm. as well. And I think this is another reason that I love Ayurveda so much is that it really emphasizes the connection between our gut health and our digestion and our mental health. And there is, of course, more Western research now that has promoted the importance of what has been called the gut-brain connection or the gut-microbiome-brain axis. So I think there is increasing attention to this phenomenon, this this idea, yet this is something that Ayurveda has been saying for a very long time. Mm. And... And I think even still, we often will think of our bodies as machines that sort of digest food and don't realize that there is a a deeper impact that the foods that we can have on our spiritual and mental and emotional health and well-being and not just the foods we eat, but the spices that we use, how we cook them, the emotional state that we're in when we cook the food, Mm. where the food came from, are we multitasking while we're eating? All of these processes affect the the intake Mm. of our food and how it lands in our bodies. And as, as I've been saying, since my philosophy is that the body isn't really separate from the mind, that they are one and the same when we put food in our body, it's it's fueling our whole being, which mm. includes the mind, not just our gastrointestinal tract. Mm, that's super interesting as well, because we are like, we, we think of these things more of kind of, in a way, like you said, health, but also aesthetics, you know, we think, oh, I need to eat mm-hmm. this to make my skin look nice. I need to eat this, mm-hmm. you know, which of course they play a role and stuff, but we don't think of how the body actually by living through the body in a way that's healing for the body, how beneficial that is for the spirit and how beneficial that is for the mind. Um, and, I, you know, I've not, I don't know much about Ayurveda. Um, I've heard about it briefly. I think Jay Shetty's wife talks about it a little bit. Um, but I, I would love to kind of know how does that come into things like trauma, which is obviously talked about mm-hmm. a lot. Um, we, you know, we, mm-hmm. saw, we saw a lot of the trauma in our bodies, you know, maybe sometimes not even realizing that we've stored it in our bodies. You know, how does Ayurveda, am I pronouncing it correctly? Ayurveda? You are, (laughs) yes, you are. Ayurveda, how does it play a role in, you know, that deep-seated stuff with with things like trauma, with things like that get stuck in the body, the energy that gets stuck in the body? Mm -hmm. It's a great, great question. And I will use this as an opportunity to highlight that, Ayurveda, the meaning of the word is translated in in different ways. Mm. But one translation that I particularly like is the science of life. Mm. And I really love that because again, yeah, it's, it's not, doesn't have disease in the title. Yes, of course, we are hoping to prevent and heal from disease, but it's, it's about life and it's about being human. And so I, I feel like the name is very, indicative of how we practice Ayurveda. So in Ayurveda, as I said, there is this big emphasis on food and and nutrition 
And one reason for that, of course, is that our bodies do do need food (laughs) and it doesn't matter what we eat if we're not digesting it. So it's a lot, there's a big focus on what we're eating, how we're digesting and, and metabolically when we're not digesting something well, we're not able to nourish the, the deeper tissue layers or datus as, as they're called in Ayurveda, that when we take something into our body, it nourishes the different systems in our body in a sequential order. So if there's a limit to how nutritious the food is or how well we're able to process something that is even very highly nutritionally dense, it may not get to all layers of our beings. Mm. We may not be fully nourished. So as I said, there is this focus on food and digestion that is really important. And in Ayurveda, we also focus on the mind and ways in which we can use the the physical practice of yoga through asana, mantra, chanting, connection to spirituality, all different tools and strategies to promote healing. Because again, Ayurveda approaches imbalance Mm -hmm. as well as healing in this holistic way, which necessitates the incorporation of, of a variety of different kinds of tools. So it's something like trauma and trauma being stored in the body. So Ayurveda has a a very complex system, which I know we won't have time to go into all the details. So I'll try to give sort of an overview version for for folks who are perhaps less familiar with the system. I mean, I'm less familiar as well, so go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So to answer your question, I think it would help to give a a little bit more of an explanation of some of the Mm, the theory mm, or the philosophy. So one system and framework in Ayurveda is called the dosha system. And this is something that some people have heard of, even if they're not that familiar with Ayurveda. But essentially, in Ayurveda, we recognize that everything in the world is made up of the five elements. So air, water, fire, earth, and ether or space. And these exist both in an energetic way that we can't see, as well as in a tangible form in matter. And each of us or each object, everything we can see and touch and in the world has a different combination of these elements. So there are three main doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha, which are comprised of the elements in different proportions. So when we think about us as human beings, we're all born into the world in a certain kind of way. Modern psychology Mm -hmm. or Western psychology refers to this as more of like a temperament or a biological predisposition towards perhaps extroversion or introversion or anxiety or depression. And in Ayurveda, this is, is called our constitution. And so many of us have a dominant dosha, vata, pitta, or kapha, or we have a combination, vata, pitta, pitta, kapha, or some people are tridoshic. And the reason this is important is that 
when we have a certain kind of a constitution, there are certain ways we can live our lives that can promote balance. So I'll use myself as an example. I'm a Vata Pitta combo. So that is a combination of a lot of air elements and a lot of fire. So I can be prone mm. to sleeplessness, anxiety. I also have a lot of drive and a lot of ambition and a lot of fire and is this kind of linked in with like your placements you know in astrology in terms of whether you have a lot of water or fire is it slightly different there is a branch of ayurveda called vedic astrology so there i and i think there is potentially a okay a link there so when you say water and fire what do you what do you mean by that how did how do you know that you're sort of water and fire based yeah it's it's a great question so there are Ayurvedic specialists that mm-hmm. can help you understand what mm-hmm. constitution you most likely are through a combination of asking about your life history okay. and as well as – so we have dominant doshas when it comes to our physical body. So like what our physical body mm-hmm. – do we have dry skin? Do we have lustrous hair? What do our fingernails look like? So – those kinds of things. But then we also have a dominant dosha or dominant doshas when it comes to our mental body. So some of us can be similar in terms of the doshas that are dominant in our physical body. And then we can have, or or they can be similar or different in terms of what our mm-hmm. mental body is like and what our physical body is like. So there are Ayurvedic specialists that can help. There are all sorts of mm-hmm. um, quizzes and assessments that you can take online. But personally, I think that it's just better to meet with someone who has the expertise because as you know, sometimes these self-assessments we can take online, we don't necessarily know who developed them or where they came from. Sometimes they can be a bit like overly simplistic. Sometimes we feel like we don't fit into any of the categories that are given. So there, there are ways to learn more online is, is I think one thing to say that people could explore if they're more curious about, but there's also, um, I think value in talking to someone who is trained and can give feedback because it can be complicated. Mm -hmm. And so there are, our constitution is how we're born into the world and that's our prakruti. And there's also our vikruti, which is where we're at right now. So I might have been born Mm -hmm. into the world in a very vata constitution. And yet because of my life circumstances, Perhaps I'm more in a kaphic state, which is more of a heavy, earthy, could be depression, it could be lethargy, slow moving kind of state. And so really Ayurveda is about balance and finding balance, balancing our constitution, balancing how the stressors in our life have impacted our constitution. So when it comes to something like trauma, Oftentimes, that is an experience or even stress that aggravates the vata dosha, so the air air element. Um, and vata is air and ether combined. And the reason for that is that when there is a lot of aggravation of vata, there is often a lot of anxiety, a lot of body tension, a lot of insomnia. There can be difficulties with digestion. So there are all sorts of of problems that can arise that map onto what Western psychology would say is post-traumatic stress. So there's a a way in which these two systems overlap. And so Mm -hmm. when you are struggling with a vata imbalance, 
because that's a lot of aggravation of, of air and space, the antidote to that would be grounding and and mm. having lifestyle techniques that are very grounding. So this would involve grounding spiritual practices, perhaps restorative yoga, perhaps meditation and chanting, prayer, if that is something that that aligns with your values and spiritual tradition, connection with nature, just anything that grounds you and helps you find your center, so to speak. It also would involve potentially very warm, cooked, oily foods. So we think about root vegetables and soups as being very grounding and soothing. And so those are the kinds of foods that can alleviate or pacify an aggravation of vata. Warm oil massage or abhyanga is something in Ayurveda that is prescribed, so to speak, as a daily practice for everyone, but especially for people when there is a lot of vata aggravation because it can penetrate all of the different layers, not just of our physical body, but of our emotional, mental body. And so that the way that we engage in self-massage with warm oil can be very soothing to the nervous system when there has been a trauma. And for people who may feel uncomfortable being in their bodies, understandably so because of trauma, we can focus warm oil massage just on the hands or just on the feet or just on the head. Mm -hmm. And so there are ways that we can, again, personalize these practices in a way that is still trauma informed. So the, the main idea is that when there is stress and trauma, there's almost always a vata imbalance. And that is just because of the nature of what stress does to the human mind and body. So it's not personal. It's not a flaw or a weakness in someone to have a vata imbalance because of stress and trauma. It just is what it is. This is how these kinds of experiences affect all human beings. And again, there is an overlap here too with with Western psychology in terms of what it does to our hormone levels, stress and trauma. So there is human commonality in terms of how we are affected. Mm. Of course, there are lots of differences. We can have five people in a room who all have experienced a similar trauma, but it shows up very differently in their lives. But at a core level, there is an imbalance. There is something that has happened on a neurophysiological level. There is something that has happened on an energetic level in, in terms of the way that Ayurveda would think about it, that there's, there is, some, Ayurveda would say there is a way in which this has been stored in the physical body, and yet there's an energetic r- residue here as well. And so mm. that is why we we wouldn't just address trauma through, say, movement or or just through food, that we would really pull from all of these different different modalities. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, that was that was so interesting. And and uh, you know, just a thought that was coming across my mind when we when you were discussing that was how, you know, and again, this is not to kind of insult what the Western medical community or whatever you want to call it provides us if these things are missed you know if someone goes to which I think is all too common nowadays someone will go to the doctors with you know uh, especially symptoms with things like anxiety depression PTSD 
and they will get prescribed something, you know, to help them process it. Mm -hmm. And okay, that might treat it to an extent, you know, everyone has their own personal opinions on this, I understand. But for me, it's like, how is just kind of blanketing it going to deal with that root cause of it? Mm. And then now where you've got this combination, bringing in these healing practices, ancient healing practices, you know, we forget, when we talk about spirituality, we forget, I think, that these things are ancient, you know, that these practices are ancient, Mm -hmm. they have been around for years upon years upon years, it's not just something we've kind of created in in the Western world and made it our own. I mean, some people do, but we have to remember that these have come from, you know, ancient, ancient traditions and different places all over the world, you know, and we forget that. And I think by combining these two kind of elements where we have this, okay, the medical understanding of how this thing works, but also bringing in these ancient practices, that's where we see real healing take place for people because it's not just covering up and blanketing not to say that every single doctor would do this but you know it is too it is too all too common I think it's very like I know people who I've just have just gone to doctors and they've just been prescribed here you go here's some antidepressants go go carry on with your life and just take them you know that's just blanketing it it's just covering up and that that trauma is still stored there where like you said wherever that is in terms of an energetic balance or stored in the body whereas when we're incorporating these ancient practices and traditions and healing uh, modalities we are really giving someone a chance to actually deal with the root cause of that trauma and actually bring healing to that and I think that's what the true spiritual journey is understanding those traumas understanding the root cause of them and actually integrating them into your life through healing and as you just spoke about there, I think I really love the way you talked about it because it it really shows that healing is holistic. It's really not just mm-hmm. here are some pills, go and deal with it. And at the same time, it's also not go and stay up in space in your mind and, you know, ignore society and everything. And it's about a combination and the balance of the two. Um, so in terms of your actual, when you're actually helping people with these things when you've got clients coming to you how do you incorporate the two how do you balance the two is it kind of like just getting to know the person or is there a way in which you always have the combination of the two in each session kind of thing in terms of this more ancient healing methodologies and modalities as well as the kind of traditional kind of western psychology practices yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think it really varies depending on the person. So, for instance, some people will come to me and mostly their awareness of the options that are available is very rooted in more of a traditional Western mm. psychological model. And that doesn't mean they're not open to other practices. It just may mean that they're very new to them mm. and don't know that much about them. And and as you know, sometimes when we're new to things, we can be very excited. Sometimes we can be pretty skeptical. It really just depends. And I, I do think that something that is really powerful is that I do think that oftentimes people can be more receptive when we are able to share the rationale 
for some of these practices. Mm. Or we're able to say, here's what I've witnessed in terms of the benefit in my own life, or here's how this practice has been helpful to clients with whom I have worked. That oftentimes we can be more open and receptive and less skeptical if if we have some explanation as mm. to how something works or why something is being recommended. So when someone comes to me, I spend a lot of time, as you said, getting to know them, getting to know what's going on for them because I do, even when I am drawing from different modalities, it's not in the same combination or it's not implemented in the same way because it needs to be personalized to them. It needs to resonate with them. They need to believe on some level that these tools can be helpful. Otherwise, mm. that will affect how much they use them and ultimately how much they benefit because there can be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that happens where if I'm being – someone is suggesting something to me in my life that I don't believe in, I'm probably not going to put the same into mm. it in my totally. body and spirit, totally. right? Mm. So it's there is a certain level of believability, credibility that needs to be there in order for these tools to really be beneficial because we really do need to go all in. Mm. Even if we're – we can still be skeptical or not sure, but at, at a deep level to have that hope I think really makes a difference. So – in terms of how I bring in, in these tools, I I think it's really important also because, as you said, these are ancient practices to not engage in a form of cultural appropriation where we overly dilute these practices to make them more palatable to people. So I think it's a fine... Mm, I love that. I totally yeah. love this because I think so many people do this. Um, just to make it acceptable to to get more clients or whatever but they are as they are you know right. and we should accept them as they are and people have the choice whether they want to participate and gain what you can gain from them yes absolutely and so I I really aspire in my own life to not engage in that dilution and so that is why I I only share practices that I feel like I have thorough advanced training in, that I know their origins. I can, if there are Sanskrit words that I can say them, maybe it's not, my pronunciation isn't perfect, <laughs> but I am, my heart is there and I'm trying. And so I, as you said, I see this often where people will say, oh, do this square breathing. And yes, this can be square breathing, but the Samana Vritti or just using the the actual word for me is an important way to honor where mm. these traditions came from. So people don't have to use these words themselves. But for me, in the same way that if I'm introducing something that comes from sort of a Western Eastern psychological blend, mindful self-compassion, I will say this was developed by doctors Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. I will sort of credit where it came from. And I, for me, that's just a value that I think is really important to acknowledge lineage and where things came from, whether it's citing a publication in a journal, whether it's using the traditional name for something. But anyway, I think the reason I'm bringing this up is that I don't think we have to dilute things to make them more palatable. I think it's less about diluting and more about explaining. Here's what this practice mm -hmm. is. Here's why I'm recommending it for you in this particular 
circumstance. And here are the ways that I think we could personalize it to meet your needs that still honor its roots, that still allow mm. it to have the impact that it that it can, whether it's a pranayama or a breath practice, whether it's Ayurvedic guidance related to mind-body practices or nutrition or lifestyle considerations. So, so I am very open with people about how I'm thinking about what's going on for them, why I'm offering the things I am. I talk a lot about the origins, as I said, where they come from. And then I leave it up to them to choose, as you said, because they could say, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't resonate with me. And in fact, I had a client a couple of years ago who identifies as Christian. Her Christian faith is really important to her. And so when I introduced, I was working with her in the postpartum period, I introduced the idea of integrating some Ayurvedic lifestyle considerations and guidance around food and nutrition in the postpartum period and some other practices like womb wrapping, et cetera, and the Abhyanga and some Marma point therapy. And so at first she was, she was concerned. She said, is there a, are there ways in which this might conflict with my faith? And it was really valuable to walk through with her. Okay. What, let me learn more about the aspects of your faith that are really important to you. Let me tell you more about what Ayurveda is. And and is there some core way in which there is a conflict? Because of course, I would never want anyone to feel as though they're engaging in tools that are not in line with their values, because that's the complete opposite of, of what I want to be promoting in in the healing space that I try to cultivate with the people with whom I work. So we had a very powerful discussion about her concerns, about what Ayurveda is, and there were aspects of Ayurveda that didn't resonate. For example, some of the Sanskrit chanting and, and, and that side of things. And yet there were certain aspects of it that did, but it didn't feel like it was this cultural appropriation or this dilution because we really discussed the depth and breadth of the Ayurvedic framework and were able to craft a, an approach that drew from Ayurveda yet also honored her spiritual tradition. Mm, I think that's so, so important. I think people kind of do think that like one modality that works, they have to take everything. And then suddenly that's their whole kind of like practice. Mm -hmm. It's their whole kind of way of living. While to an extent, I understand that people may choose to live this way. I personally don't see how it's possible because we're Mm -hmm. all unique, you know, and we all should kind of, it it is a matter of honoring where we're taking them from, but it's also about, you know, you can take, things that resonate with you and you can Mm -hmm. leave the things that don't and that's kind of what we've lost I think and again that's the kind of need to make it more palatable for for -hmm. society you know whereas it is Mm -hmm. totally okay to kind of work with what works with you and not work with what doesn't as long as you're remaining kind of true to what the practices are and honoring the practices roots Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the key is Mm. we're not cherry picking in a way that is superficial. Mm. We're getting grounded in what the options are, what these wisdom traditions say, and then we're trying to figure out where there is alignment. Mm. And I, I do think that is so, so key. And I agree wholeheartedly with what you said is that there is a way that we can 
honor ourselves and honor the roots from which these traditions come. Mm -hmm. We don't need to take on their entire system. We, we don't need to dilute it. Like there is a way to balance this tension of personalization with cultural appropriation. I, I think there is, there is a middle path there. Totally, totally. That's where, mm-hmm. that's where values are so, so important. Understanding your own values, understanding your own, um, your own practices and your own kind of way of living. And as long as everything's coming from a space of compassion and a space of, even if it someone doesn't agree with it, you're still coming from a space of compassion. That's where you can really live the right healing journey for yourself because mm-hmm. we are unique spiritual beings. We're not all the same. And that's where it's so important to understand what works for you and what doesn't. Absolutely. And, I, and this is very much how Ayurveda operates, which is one reason that I love it so much. Again, not that Ayurveda needs to be a system again, as we're saying that everyone needs to draw from, but Ayurveda would say based on what is what your constitution is and what is imbalance in your life in this moment, which we know can iterate and change from moment to moment, this style of yoga may be more indicated right now than this style or this pranayama, this breath practice may be indicated more than another. This kind of meditation may be indicated more than another. And, and even as I said, even with trauma, even though trauma and stress definitely cause a vata imbalance, what that looks like is going to be different depending on your constitution, right? Because the the vata imbalance is going to interact with your constitution differently. So if I'm someone who's very vata already and, and then have a trauma on top of that, that's probably going to look different than if I'm pitta or kapha or some other combo. Mm-hmm. So I think it's there is just so much wisdom, as you said, in compassionately acknowledging the reality of what is, the reality of, of who we are, the reality of our values and our preferences, and and to feel empowered to cultivate our healing journey accordingly. That mm. it doesn't have to look a certain way and it can change and we can iterate. And I think that is really the power too is tuning into ourselves and our needs and our preferences and values so much so that we can adapt and be flexible because our inner landscape is also not static. We have certain Mm -hmm. values and beliefs and preferences, but at certain points in our life, certain values feel more important than others. And we feel more misaligned when certain needs aren't getting met. And that, again, can be sort of a phase-based experience, it can also be moment to moment. So I I think I love what you're saying because I think the ability to just compassionately recognize without judgment, without ignoring anything, without pushing anything away, the reality of what is and what we need, that can serve as a guide towards Mm. cultivating a path that really is in alignment with what we need. But it really starts from that sort of inner examination, I think, of that needs to be compassionate because so often we look outward and we think, Mm. okay, well, it doesn't look like that. So maybe something's wrong with me. I'm not progressing fast enough or I'm not where I should be or this, what this person over here did isn't working for me. And so we so often don't walk away from those experiences thinking, okay, well, maybe that worked for them. And something we often think there's something wrong with us. That's such a common Mm. mind trap that we get caught in is when we go, when we look outward and compare, 
we think that we're not doing it right or that we can't be healed, I think is another common misconception because we see other people progressing or we think we see them progressing because as you know, who knows what's happening inside of them. But I I think I just really resonate with what you said because I think we just have this tendency to look outward when we're feeling stuck in our healing journey, when I think there's so much power to looking inward and reflecting on Mm. what might not be resonating or what might need to shift for us and to keep the path personalized and attentive and nuanced to meeting our unique needs. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So where can people find you, Melissa? So I have an Instagram account, which is at Dr. Foynes, F-O-Y-N-E-S. So that's probably the easiest place to find me right now because my website is being edited. In in the near future, it will be www.melissafoynes.com. And I also do have a free video series on building resilience, the science and soul of building resilience, which integrates a lot of the modalities that we talked about today. There's some mindful self-compassion work. There's some body-based awareness, some breath work. The, The idea was really to create a free resource for people that has a little bit of a sampling of some of these different wisdom traditions and offering some tools that can be implementable pretty readily on your own without the guidance of a professional and and to be able to really personalize some of these practices and implement them throughout our lives in a sustainable way so there that's um you can find that on my instagram account as well if you're interested yeah that will also be in the show notes so if anyone's interested as well they can go to the show notes and they can uh, and check that out and Can we just finish up with uh, one final question that we ask all our guests um, and that's to share a message from your soul. So that could be whatever comes up to you now intuitively. Hmm. I think what I want to say is that there's nothing wrong with you. I, I think that it's so easy to internalize this message that because something isn't working in our lives or hasn't turned out how we wanted or expected or hoped that that means there's something wrong with us. And of course, I think it is important to reflect and examine the ways in which we might be contributing to certain dynamics in our lives in terms of relationships or life circumstances. And yet, I think it's really important to understand that sometimes the way things happen in our lives is because of something other than us and our worth. And there are so many factors that go into things panning out in the ways that, that they do. And so to not tie our worth to the outcomes in our lives, that we are worthy just because, and when, Mm. and to really resist this urge to tie the circumstances in our lives to our worth and to assume that these outcomes mean or say something about who we are on a deep level. So I think even though something in our life might not be where we want it to be, that that is very different than not being worthy or there being something wrong with us. So I think really just separating out our innate worthiness from the aspects of our lives 
or ourselves that we're not satisfied with because I think that ability to separate allows us to treat ourselves holistically with Mm. compassion. Mm, That was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for being on this space with me today. It's been um, a pleasure having you on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was really an honor and a joy. So thank Thank you so much. much. Thank you, Melissa. And that's a wrap from today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in. Don't forget to tune in next week, Monday and Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST, as more of my guests and myself share some incredible stories and inspire you a little bit further to step outside of your comfort zone and step more into who you are at a deeper level. Don't forget to join our podcast community using the links in our bio and you can connect with us on social media. I hope this episode gave you a little bit of inspiration and the courage to step into your power and share your soul. Thank you again and I'll see you next week. Thank you.